You guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do. Um, you can open up to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We are going to, this morning, we're going to try and cover the whole chapter. And I'm going to read all 30 verses, and then we're going to, we're going to pray. And, and I say that sometimes when we get to familiar stories, there's a temptation to uh, maybe just try and tell the story rather than read the story in Scripture. And um, one of the things I always want to be very, very clear is this right here, this, this book, the Bible, always trumps what I say. All right? And so what I hope, my prayer is always that at the end of each service, that um, God's word is the centerpiece, that God's word's the hero, and God's word is the focal point of every message. Okay, and it's not that that we're not coming here. I know you guys don't come here to listen to funny stories or hear me wax eloquent about anything because I'm not that gifted of an orator. Okay, so, but but in all seriousness, I always really want God's word to be the center of it all, and so I'm going to read I'm going to read the whole whole story. And, um, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about it. And hopefully we can pull out three particular story. So here we go. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, <laughs> the governors and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You... Are commanded, O prophets, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, the trigen, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigen, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigen, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the image, the golden image that you have set up. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the music, the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tragedy, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, 
to fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of, the, out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to, be, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the, fire, the burning, fiery furnace. Because the, king, because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had, a, had come upon them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve any worship, serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid up in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this morning as we look at a, a very familiar story, God, I pray that you allow this story um, to renew within us. And I pray that we don't get just comfortable in a story that most of us heard in children's church when we were young. God, I pray that you allow us to see this story, that you allow us to feel as if we're in this story. God, I pray this morning. I pray, God, that you use your words to do a great work in our hearts. God, I pray that you allow me to be faithful to your text. God, I pray that you give me your words. I pray that you give me your heart and your passion. 
God, I pray, I pray, I pray that this morning is we come and leave, that we leave a different people. That this, your holy word, inspires us to live different lives. So Holy Spirit, do a great work. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So to give us a little backdrop and to remind us to how we got to this point. We look at the building blocks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. You see at the very, very beginning of the first few verses that Daniel um, and his buddies have been captured. Like Judah, the last remaining part of Israel, had been conquered by Babylon. And with that, part of um, Nebuchadnezzar's plan, as he had, and at that time he had just become king. If we go through history, he was actually one of the generals that was outgoing and, and, and conquering different territories. As they were approaching um, Israel, Jerusalem, word reached them that his father had passed. And so he goes back home to Babylon and he's crowned king. Part of Nebuchadnezzar's plan, though, is as he would go and conquer territories, he would find the best of the best of the young men. And he would bring them back to Babylon. They would put them through this really intense three years of training, of schooling. And in this, they would strip away all their culture. They would give them new names. They would teach them new languages. Um, They would push their own religion on them, give them new diets. If you remember that first part of Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to probably reference this almost every week. And if you walk away with nothing over the next several weeks, probably a few months as we go through Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. I think it's the linchpin of, of this book, of this at least person, this character of Daniel. And Daniel 1, 8 says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. That's a big statement. Uh, I think sometimes we can be very good at making and saying something strong. Um, as parents, so often I think we have these conversations with our children that actions speak what? Louder than words, right? So often um, we can say talk is cheap. Um, I, I enjoy athletics and I... I this last week, I was substituting over at North Florida Christian, and um, they were all high school level classes. And I enjoy being around high schoolers. And you know, it's funny about kids, and it probably is no different in college or professional. Um, we can get arrogant real quick, right? And we can start talking big talk. Uh, we even do it in our softball team sometimes. <laughs> I don't, I don't do it. Let me rephrase that. The rest of the team does. I don't. Right, Jacob? Like, I don't. Like, the one who's wearing his jersey to church this morning. But, but you know, but sometimes, like, it's easy to talk the talk. Like, and we can say we're going to do this, we're going to do that, whatever. But at the end of the day, like, at the end of the game, we find out who can really walk the walk, don't we? And the same thing is true in our faith. Like, it it can be easy for us to make a big, bold statement in the comforts of church. 
when we're surrounded by people that we know and we love and that believe in everything that we believe in. But then when we get away from that, when, it, when we're tested on it, it becomes a little bit more challenging. And, and we see, as we looked at the end of, as we went through that, that first chapter of Daniel, one of the things that he would not do is he, 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 he took the new name. He took the education. He did all this stuff. But when it got to this diet, this, this changing um, where, where he was going to eat the same food that the king was eating, the good stuff, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, there was a few reasons, I believe, why they wouldn't do it. It went against the, the, some of the Old Testament commandments for, for their faith, for, the, for their beliefs. As far as like it being a kosher meal. But beyond just that, the normal practice was before that food was brought to the king, it was brought before the idols as a, as a sacrifice and then brought to the king. And, and Daniel and his three buddies that we read about this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just said no. We're not going to do this. And so they went on that really that vegetarian diet. And it lasted, we have to understand it, like they did it for 10 days and then they stand before Ashpenaz, who's the, the chief eunuch. And at that point, they, they are much healthier and they are better than the rest of the people in the school. And we don't know how many people are there, but there are several. It's not just four people. There's a lot there. But there's only four guys that had enough gumption to stay true to their faith. And they, they, they go through and, they, and they, they pass with flying colors. And they're allowed to do that for the remainder of their schooling. Three years. And at that point, at the end of their, they stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. Like the king. The most powerful man to probably walk the face of the earth. And he takes the time to personally inspect this graduating class. And they stand before the king. And he inspects them. He compares them to to the rest of that graduating class. And not only that, but he compares them to his current crew, his current staff of advisors, his spiritual advisors. And he finds those four Hebrew boys. And I mean boys, because when they show up there, they're probably somewhere between the ages of 12 to 15. You fast forward three years later, and they're 15 to 18 years old. And they are found to be 10 times better than the rest. And that's just not the students. That's his own crew, everything. That was, they were faithful to their convictions. And I, and I love how Daniel works, because you see, like, Daniel chapter 1, the very beginning, wow, it looks bad. Looks, looks like a bad situation. Young boys ripped away from their homes, ripped away from their parents, ripped away from everything that they know, brought to a foreign area. All this foreign, but they stay, stay true to their God. God answers. And at the end, we're throwing this little parade because they're the best, right? And then chapter two opens up. And there's this dream. Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful king, has this dream. Such a dream that it caused him to start losing sleep. He calls in his wise men. The guys that he inherited from his dad, like the top aides. And says, all right, guys, I want you to tell me what the dream was and what it meant. Pretty big task. And they couldn't do it. None of them could do it. So he gives them a second chance. He says, listen, if you can't do it, if you can't tell me what the dream means and what it was, I'm going to kill all of you. And by all of you, I mean all of you 
in school and up. Like everyone who claims to be part of this group that I've identified as wise men, you're all going to be killed. I'm going to take your homes. I'm going to burn them. I'm going to turn them into trash heaps. So he wasn't playing around. And the second time they had that option and the guys came back to him and said, listen, King, you're asking us to do something that no one has ever done. It's impossible. Like our gods don't dwell with us. We have no access to our gods. How sad is that? I mean, these guys are running around claiming and, and they have no connections, gods. And so finally the king says, if you can't do it, then boom. And so they sends out Arach, who is the chief executioner, the, the captain of the king's guard. And he goes around and he's collecting all of them, not just the ones that couldn't do it, like all of them. And then you get the knock, knock on Daniel's door. And Arach's summoning him that they're going to, him too. Then Daniel asked for a few moments, some time that he could go and pray. And then he promised that he would go before Nebuchadnezzar and tell him what his dream was and what it meant. And so he does. He goes through that. And last week we talked about what was that dream. That's our first glimpse into prophecy. This, this dream of this statue. He sees a statue in his dreams. And it's a man. But it's made out of different metals. It starts off with this golden head. And, and Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, like, that golden head, that's you. That's Babylon. You are the most powerful nation the world will ever see. The greatest nation. You, you represent this head of gold. And it would transition down. You saw silver. And the silver was the Persian Empire that would come after them. And then after that, you saw the, the midsection, which was the Greeks. And after that, the lower part, the legs of iron, which was the Roman Empire. And what's so amazing about that, that, that prophecy is it, it began with the Babylonian Empire in 605 B.C. And it is still going today. How amazing is that? How amazing is it that God gives this dream that we see? And, and this book of Daniel is... is an amazing book for so many different reasons. But when you look at, at chapters 2 through chapter 7, the, way in which, the language in which it was written is different than anything, any other place in the Bible. It's written in Aramaic. As I said this last week, this gives us a glimpse. All the rest of the Old Testament, all the rest of the New Testament, aside from Daniel, we see um, a, a, a historical perspective through the eyes of Israel. But Daniel's different because we see it through the eyes of the Gentiles. And that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was the Gentile history. And so here we go, and, and, and he delivers this news, and, and the result of him telling Nebuchadnezzar this news, all the wise men are saved. So at first we think, well, they must be excited about this. Like They must be really happy about Daniel, how great Daniel is. He just saved their lives. But there's this part of us as humans that sin nature begins to creep in although they're not completely identified here as we read or as i read daniel chapter three you begin to see where some of these men must have somehow regained some influence into king nebuchadnezzar we don't know exactly when this event occurs it's not like it occurred a week after the dream it's not like this event happened. Probably it was probably several months. Probably it could have been several years after 
this dream that Daniel interprets. But somehow somebody regained the ear of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar ends up going, he builds this, this statue. And in there that talks about how it's 60 cubits high. A cubit, um, it was ba- the measurement would have been from the tips of the fingers to the elbow. A- approximately about a foot and a half. And so when you think of this, it was about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And it's made out of gold. Uh, many commentators will say that that statue probably resembled that same image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about. The difference is, um, rather than being made out of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, is it was all gold. And I think you begin to, again, once again, see the arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he, he decides that he wants, not only is this thing going to sit and people be able to look and, and gaze upon it, no, that people are going to worship this, this great creation of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. And again, I believe that you have these, these groups of guys that probably um, were shunned earlier from chapter 2, have this influence. And they begin to blow smoke into Nebuchadnezzar, telling him about how great he is, how worthy he is, and, and how people need to come and worship this. And, and if they don't worship this, then there should be a real penalty for them not worshiping this great God, this great thing that you created. Death, immediate death. If you notice in, in your scripture, in your, in your Bible, it talks about in verse 6, that whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into this furnace. Immediately. And so, the music plays. And three guys stand straight and tall. And refuse to bow. Now, mind you, there are thousands of people here. We read earlier, like Nebuchadnezzar had gone out, he gathered officials from the surrounding areas. Babylon is is the presiding nation of the world at this time. Like it, 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 there, it is the most powerful thing. There are thousands upon thousands there. And they all bow, except for three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think when we look at those first 12 verses in Daniel, we can gain some encouragement, some prodding for us to not give in. Uh, I heard this statement that I think rings so true. It says this, you make your decisions based on one of two things, either inner principle or outer pressures. Our decision, think about every decision that we make in life is going to be driven by one of those two principles, an inner principle or an outer pressure. And we consider this situation that these guys are in. There is enormous pressure. I mean, the king has declared this. And it's not just any king. It is the king, Nebuchadnezzar. This powerful man. 
No doubt, like they had, there were other people that they, they had grown up with. There were other people in their class they had graduated with. There were other coworkers around, people that they knew. And certainly they were telling just do it, guys. Just do it. Just do it. I think um, so often when we consider stories like this, I think of our youth. And we so often talk about peer pressure. Wednesday nights we talk about peer pressure a lot, don't we? And, you know, our youth, like every day they go to school and they face this. Like every day. Like there's, there's no relief from it. I mean, it's peer pressure um, to do things they shouldn't do. To, to be friends with people they shouldn't be friends with. To make choices that they know are wrong. But if I just do it, it'll get somebody else off my back. Those peer pressure, though, it, it's not held just for high school. Like it's as intense in middle school now. And the reality is, like, it's occurring in our elementary schools. <laughs> I mean, it's peer pressure. Um, but like adults, if we can just take the jacket off of being an adult for a moment, the reality is this. We face peer pressure as well, don't we? I mean, we... The situation may be different. We may not have to cheat on a math quiz or a math test, but there's big projects in the office that we have to get to. And maybe we cut some corners. Maybe we use people to um, to, to climb a ladder. Like this, there's peer pressure. It's not the most popular thing to stop and pray before we eat lunch. And, you know, I I think as Christians, we are facing something um, critical. I believe this. I believe that we have what we tolerate. We have what we tolerate. Our, our country is rapidly changing. But it's not just our country. It's the world that we live in. And mind you, when I say this, this is not a political statement. Okay, this is not like a Republican versus Democrat. I mean, you know, we're we're already in the um, the swing of politics again, right? We have an election coming up, and not too far away, and the commercials are coming, and and you watch the news now, and they're already battling over who's. This, so this is not a political statement at all. Okay, I, I could care less whether you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. We're Christians, but the world that we live in is changing 
And the things that we tolerate will get. Um, from time to time, we've, I've mentioned this. I think that we see this playing out now with um, the way we define marriage. I think the sad and unfortunate thing about this is we were too fearful to maybe take strong enough stances. And the result of that is going to be, I believe, from a national perspective, a redefined position on marriage. Like, I believe that, like, for us, that battle's lost. I mean, I mentioned this before. I think that we see um, what I believe will happen probably not too far, the, the legalization probably nationally in marijuana. Like those are things that are happening. Like those are things like I'm 39 years old. I know I look like I'm 24. I, I know it. You guys don't have to laugh. I don't, it doesn't feel like high school was that far away, but like if you would have mentioned that me in high school, I would have thought you were crazy. There's no way. There, there's no way like it would be like it, like to walk even on high school campuses now to think, wow. Like I, I, every once in a while, like Bonnie and Warren, I will have conversations and she'll just tell me as a high school teacher, she'll tell me what it looks like. And you're like, how do we get here? I have to tell you, I believe we got there because we were tolerant. And now we're getting what we were tolerant about. Somehow the definition of tolerance has changed. No longer is it um, this idea that we love someone despite a disunderstanding. But now tolerance means that we have to openly accept every lifestyle, every belief system. And if we don't, then we're intolerant. The, the reality, I believe, of where we live today, that the most intolerant people in society are considered to be Christians. I think as we consider this idea of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys are living in a difficult situation. And there are thousands upon thousands of people around them. The king declares something, and they didn't give in. They stood strong. They stood tall. When we get to verses 13 through 18, I think we see this great idea where Daniel, or not Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't give up. What's interesting here is I believe these three guys had somehow earned some favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. See, King Nebuchadnezzar was, was not a man that, um, that typically would go back on his word. And, and you go back earlier, remember in verse 6, he said, if they don't do it, then they were to be thrown in that first immediately. Like right away, you don't do it, boom, throw them in. Word gets back to him that there was these three guys who didn't do it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When he hears it, it says he's still furious, he's still mad, he's upset, but he calls for them. And he's going to give them a second chance. A second opportunity. He, he, 
I don't know if he just thinks maybe maybe they don't have, they don't hear so well. Maybe I gotta break this down again. Okay, now guys, you understand? Okay, when the music goes off, if you don't bow. And if you have your Bibles, I would underline verse 17 and 18. I think this is, again, Miss Kay Khaki gives me a hard time because she says every Sunday, I say, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. I do say it a lot. I am guilty. Guilty as charged. I love every verse in the Bible. But today, today, I love their response. As King Nebuchadnezzar says, like, all right, guys, this is your second chance. Like, you do this. I mean, you have to do this. And it's almost like these guys say, hold up, King, here, time out. We don't need a second chance. Verse 17 says, and this is their response. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So he says, listen, do whatever you want. Whatever you want. Because if our God wants to, no matter what you do, no matter what choice you make, no matter what, it doesn't matter how hot you make the furnace, it does not matter. If our God wants, he will deliver us. Like they had faith. Like that's... Daniel 1, 8, like they purposed in their heart as 12-year-olds. And here, however old they are, they're saying, listen, I'm back. And whatever I said back then, I'm still there. Do whatever you want. Because our God, our God can spare us. And as great of a statement as that is, and it's, it's awesome. I love verse 18. Because this is when the rubber meets the road. And then they say, but if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Like that's faith. Like they're saying, listen, we know he can spare us. Bring, bring your whole army. It doesn't matter. We know he can. But you know what? If he doesn't, if he doesn't, that's okay. That's okay. I think so often we can be guilty of of faith that's based on God's performance in our lives. And by that I mean this. We hit rough patches and we all hit rough patches. And we go to God in prayer. And we believe, like we have that faith that, that Shadrach, Meshach, and like God, you can change it. You can heal me. You can heal her, you can help this situation. So God, this is what I need. And we begin to prescribe what God needs to do for us. 
And as long as God follows that track, as long as God does what we want him to do, and as long as the end story is good for me, then I'm okay. Like, I'll trust you, God, as long as you make it good. But how many of us have the faith to say, God, like, this is awful. Like, this situation is horrific. It's bad. I don't see the, I don't know what to do. But it's okay. See, so often, I believe, we seek the hand of God and not the face of God. Like we're praying for him to do rather than praying for him to be. These guys, they didn't give up. They didn't give in. They didn't give up. And they had a faith that was built upon who God was. It's interesting. If you fast forward in your Bible to Acts chapter 12, you have two main stories in that that chapter. You have one where Peter is in prison and God miraculously delivers him out of prison. That's a great story. That's awesome. Amen. Right before that, you have James who's beheaded. Oh, we don't cheer for that, do we? The unfortunate thing, I think, is as we go through these hardships in life that we all will go through, As we work through our marriages, and anyone who's been married longer than 30 minutes realizes that marriage is difficult. It's hard. I don't, as best I can tell, and I'm no scholar on marriage, I don't know that we ever graduate from that part. Like there's always going to be things that will come up. That make it difficult and challenging. I mean, it's great, it's amazing, it's awesome, but there are difficulties and hardships. I mean, raising kids, oh, that's why I don't look like I'm 24 anymore. Because people like you guys, it's hard. And as parents, we want, we want to make like every decision for our kids. <laughs> and everything we tell them they shouldn't do, they do. And everything we tell them to do, they don't do. <laughs> it's hard. And as our children get older, and maybe some of our children don't make really good choices. Maybe the results of those choices are a lot of hardship. It's hard. But they didn't give up. They stood strong. And they knew that God was God. 
He was in control. And they loved him and they worshipped him because of who he was, not what he did. And then I think as we look at those last few verses of Daniel chapter 3, kind of verse 19 through 30, we see this idea that we shouldn't give out. We have to stay strong. They're thrown into this fiery furnace. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is so mad. Like when they come up and say, listen, God can spare us. He can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Do whatever you want to us. It does not matter. And that got Nebuchadnezzar's blood boiling. So he commands him to take that furnace and to get it up seven times hotter than it normally was. It was hot. I mean, so hot that as, as those guys are bound up and they're taken to the furnace, that the guards who took them there, who happened to be Nebuchadnezzar's best guard, like the best that he had, they died. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar is looking and doing a little head count and realizes something. And he's a little confused because he turns back to the guy and says, Hey, I thought we threw three people into the furnace. Yeah, we did, King. Sure did. There's four. How did the fourth one get there? And, 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 and how are they standing up and walking around? Like, how, how did that work? That... That idea, that theological term, if you want to use or know, is theophany. Theophany is the Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So that fourth person was Jesus. Like Jesus comes to them in the midst of the fiery furnace. Jesus appears with them. You know, it's, it's one thing to pray. And ask God to deliver you away from a fiery furnace. But it's a whole different prayer to ask God to deliver you from a fiery furnace, isn't it? There, there's some of us in life that we can, we can look back in life and we can tell like, like maybe things were drifting towards something and we prayed and we saw God change courses, change direction. So you may have known something was coming, but because of God's grace, God's provisions, whatever, you didn't see it, you didn't feel it entirely. You knew it was coming, but God spared you from that situation. It's another thing though when you're in the thick of it, isn't it? These guys didn't give up. They stayed the course. I, I'm going to show you a, a little video in a second. Because again, I think this idea, one of, one of the phrases, I hope you just even consider this idea. You have what you tolerate. Like as parents, we tolerate our kids talking back to us. 
it doesn't go very well, does it? If we tolerate um, them not doing their homework, they're going to live with us for a really long time. Right? If we tolerate these things, um, maybe for those of you who, um, in your profession, you have people that work under you, and if, if you tolerate them doing a poor job, the outcome won't be good. Like, like Coach, I'm pretty sure, like, if you tolerate your guys doing mistackling for a long time, like, they're probably not going to just naturally get it right. Um, as Christians, it doesn't change. If we tolerate, we're going to reap what we tolerate. And the sad part is this. We reap part of it. But it's our children who reap the blunt of it. I don't necessarily endorse um, this guy completely. This, it's, a, this is a segment. It's a, about a minute and a half segment from Glenn Beck. Okay, he's Mormon, so I'm not endorsing him as a faithful man. He can be a shock and awe kind of guy. But I want you guys to, to watch this little one minute and 43 second snippet because I think it paints a picture as much as we think it might be outrageous. As much as I want to think that, my heart tells me differently. So Gavin, can you just show this clip for us? That's a kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? And to borrow the analogy from this story, I think it's this. I think we as Christians, for far too long, have lived with a mindset that 
I may be kneeling on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And the problem with that mentality is this. (laughs) There's nobody standing. We're all just kneeling. My heart, my hope, my prayer for you and for me is that we prescribe to the same faith that these guys had. That we purpose in our hearts that we will not defile God. That we say, like, God, you can deliver us from this, but even if you don't, I believe. Like, like God, if, if I stay strong in my faith, it may result in people making fun of me. It may result in me losing a job. It may result in a bad grade. It may result in broken relationships. God, if you want to take me from that, that's fine. But, but if not, I'm yours. But if we don't stand, if we, if, we, if we don't stand upright in our faith, and guys, this is what I believe separates religion and relationship. Like if church is just a thing, emotion that we go through, an experience that we come, we spend an hour a week, and that's it. What he says is true whether it's over same-sex marriage or whatever it is, at at some point, there's no substance and it'll all fall. Or we can purpose in our hearts and stand strong. I, this past Thursday, spoke at chapel for NFC. And I shared that same passage with them. But not this, from Daniel chapter 1. And I told those students that my generation let them down. Because I didn't stand. And as we go through the Old Testament, we always see this remnant. A small group that God uses to start a movement or start something that can grow into something big. And I looked those high schoolers in the eyes and I said, guys, I failed. But you pick it up and you go strong. Church, here's the deal. Here's the, it's never too late for us to stand. And we, as a faith body, as a faith family, need to stand. I'll end with this. You know what's so awesome about that story is this. It wasn't just Daniel. It wasn't just one person or one character. You had three guys. We need each other. That's why church is so important. That's why small groups is so important. We need community. We need people that we can interlock arms with. And when it gets tough, when it gets hard, we have that encouragement to keep going, to stay strong. So folks, we have 
some who are maybe visiting or maybe some who are on the fringe and kind of looking and trying to figure out. Listen, if Redemption Hill is not your faith family, that's fine. But find a faith family because you need it and the rest of the family needs it. We need each other. We need to stay focused on him. Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning, I pray that um, you help us exactly where we're at. That you allow us to stop being tolerant of everything, to be willing to stand up for what we believe. God, I pray that you take away those shackles of fear. Lord, I, I know this morning that there are some here today that like they're in the furnace right now. Like they're going through hard times. I pray that you meet them where they're at. And I have no idea why they're in those difficult times. And I have no idea how hot the furnace is. But I do know this. That you control the thermostat. You are sovereign. You are in control. And may we all come to a point in our life that we purpose in our hearts. Not with our lips, not with our mouths, not, we just, not that we're just willing to, to talk the talk, but God, that we come to a point where we walk the walk. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you guys can stand. And this is our, our time of invitation. And we're going to sing our, no, we're going to sing a song. But Caroline's going to lead us in it. Um, and we have done this song a couple of times. It's a, a song, I think, that is relative to this idea. Because we all go through struggles. We all hit those rough patches. And sometimes we look at those things as these curses from God. But this song, Blessings, talks about how, what if, what if those things, whatever they are, what if those are ultimately blessings from God? Like, what if God actually uses those hardships? So as we sing this song, I want you guys to maybe prayerfully consider the words of this song. Prayerfully consider this, this idea of, these three young Hebrew boys that were thrown into a furnace for their faith. And pray about your own faith and what you're willing to stand for. And if you come to a point in your life where you say, I am purposing in my heart, I am going to do this because I believe in God no matter what.